0: You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys.
1: I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today, we'll be discussing the state of the killjoy for episode 100. Boom, boom, boom. Hi, Melody. Hi, we're in person. We're in person. I live here now. Welcome back to FKJ, Melody and listeners.
0: What a great episode 100 that the episode 100 is us sitting next to each other, across from each other.
1: It's true. We are sitting in a makeshift recording studio. This will maybe be my permanent recording studio. We'll see in my new apartment in Minneapolis, Minnesota, <laughs> where I now live. For at least the next year, I don't think I ever officially announced it on FKJ. Um, I was keeping it a little bit under wraps, partly because it wasn't until end of May that it was certain that I would be moving here, and then actually that got kind of thrown to the wind again too because of job stuff. But I am here, and I have a job at a really cool community college that um, I am adjuncting. But as you taught me adjuncting at community colleges in Minnesota is better because they're under a union contract. So go unions.
0: Go figure. A union gives you better.
1: Go figure. Who knew? So you didn't even ask me how I'm doing, but I'm just telling you.
0: So how are you, though? I'm good. My summer's over. We're going back to school now. We're back to school. So it was fine. But I really just want to take my check in time to thank people for their patience as our podcast is coming back to y'all. We took some time off to take a summer break. We led a podcasting course, which was awesome. Totally awesome. Super fun. And yeah, it's just really great to have you back in the flesh. I have my other friend, Jones, who was away for a while and is now also back in the human body form in Minneapolis, St. Paul region. And then I've just been hanging out with my nephews. So amazing. Things are good. Can't complain. Great. Well, I'm happy. Well, I can complain <laughs> oh. about things outside of my personal life, but...
1: We sure could. And I'll just echo those shout-outs to our listeners who were patient with us. Thank you so much. And to our podcast e-course participants who we
0: just really, really love.
1: But speaking of complaining...
0: Yeah. Who's ruining your dinner party? You'll never guess it. The news media. The mainstream news media. I'm shocked. I'm I am shocked that you're upset with them. Uh...
1: Let's. Before we get into why they're ruining your dinner party, I want to let new listeners know that this is our segment in which we remind the general public that when they say that feminists are always sort of like being killjoys and buzzkills at family events or whatever the case may be when they talk about things being racist or sexist or whatever, whatever's going on, that we're not actually ruining the dinner party. It's actually the thing that we're complaining about in the world.
0: Yeah, if they want to be doing these things I'd have nothing to complain about. Right. Unfortunately, uh, a woman went missing and she was found killed and the person who killed her happened to be an undocumented person. So you can so what ended up happening is that the headlines made sure that his immigration status was in the headlines. And some of you might be thinking, like, so what's the big deal about it? Well, what you can do is, like, flip the script and apply it to a different person. So somebody who is actually U.S. born. So our local newspaper reg, it's more of like a, what would you call city pages? Like a... Mm. When
1: it's like the free, it's free, right?
0: Yeah, it's the free newspaper you pick up where there's all the, like, concert listings right. and... So they still do, like, journalism in, in quotes. But they're pretty, they're known for being pretty hyperbolic. But they did this genius thing the other day where they posted a story. And this is a real story. And the headline read, so wait, hang on. Let me do the, the original headline I was talking about. Molly Tibich's search, colon, an undocumented immigrant has been charged with first-degree murder. First sentence of the story. An undocumented immigrant is in custody, charged with first-degree murder, in the Molly Tibbetts investigation authority said. So you can see how they're front loading the undocumented immigrant thing. So this is what city pages did when they were covering another murder uh, murder case headline U S born American citizen in country legally charged in teens death. First sentence, Jerome Rothmeyer, a 38-year-old man living in the United States legally as a national, natural-born citizen, faces a series of felony charges in the death last week of Kyle Foley, an 18-year-old native of Dassel, Minnesota. It speaks for itself, but...
1: Yeah, no, I think that, well, I guess my first thought is, like, it feels like a little bit of a gotcha moment to be using in a real story about a murder, so I kind of feel bad for the person who's the victim in that case who, you know, their family has to know that they're being made a, an example of sort of, um, so that's kind of unfortunate, Yeah, but I do appreciate what City Pages is trying to do because it's complete bullshit to be emphasizing this citizen status. It just feeds into that, you know, the whole, the whole Trump bullshit about how they're all rapists and murderers. Um, and when we don't do that for other people, when we don't talk about citizen status and that has nothing to do with criminal, criminal behavior, right? Violent criminal behavior if we're doing talking about the framework of mainstream criminality second thing i wanted to say i just saw this headline that the family of the woman who was killed by the undocumented uh immigrant is publicly saying news media please don't use our daughter's death to promote racism that's not what she was about that's not what we're about so i'm grateful for that too but yeah fuck fuck just like racism in framing in news framing it's a great example to use in mass media classes for anybody who's teaching those this semester.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me of the flipping the script of sexy advertising, you Mm -hmm. know, when they have Mm -hmm. women draped over cars Mm -hmm. and then, so some artist will put a man in the same position and it just looks ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just another one of those examples, but unfortunately this is even worse because it's being used to criminalize an entire community. We're not a stats based podcast. But there is no research that shows that undocumented people are more criminal. And in fact, they try to stay under the radar. Right. Like the last thing you want to do is get busted for a crime. Right. So why would you go around and be the criminals and the rapists that Donald right. Trump thinks they are?
1: Yeah, that definitely ruins more than dinner parties, right? That ruins entire communities' ability to live harm-free lives, Right. First, we want to just sort of reflect back on why we began this podcast and what we sort of originally set out to do and how and if that has changed at all. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time basically sort of um, differentiating ourselves and what our podcast is all about sort of through a range of sort of feminist and political topics. Some of those will differentiate us as a podcast podcast coherently. some of those you'll hear Melody and I sort of have divergent opinions on. but I think it'll especially for new listeners give give you all a sense of what we're all about. And for our OG listeners, you can sort of enjoy reflecting with us on the way that that we've evolved over the course of the past goodness three, two years, two years. three years? Three years, almost two and a half years. something like that. hundred episodes. Mel, what was our original goal with FKJ? Our
0: original goal was to be more of a Feminist Killjoys 101 podcast. We were very concerned about wanting to be inclusive in terms of education, and we still are. But that meant taking the time to stop and define terms that we thought the most, you know, baby feminist walking into our podcast might not get so if they're like interested in feminist politics but aren't sure we wanted to make sure that they didn't feel alienated and so that is what we focused on so we we were always tackling different feminist topics but we took a lot of time to explain the basics but over time that shifted and what have we evolved to now do you think like how would you describe it I think
1: we still commit to trying to define terms, but we do it a lot more quickly so that we can delve into deeper theoretical content. I think it became pretty clear that our audience was primarily folks who'd already mostly been thinking about this kind of stuff. That's not all the case. We definitely get emails from people and have had conversations with people who say that we've introduced them to things for the first time, but certainly most people can definitely handle sort of the, the level of theory that we often sort of put out. So our, I think theoretical and educational content is a little bit more like level 300 than 100. Um, and then also the thing that sort of evolves in that way, I think is that along with trying to be approachable theoretically, we were also trying to be approachable politically and that's very difficult, I think for both of us. And I know for me at the time when we first started, I was still very afraid of the consequences of radical politics as an academic. And I still am, certainly, because I do want to have a stable job someday. But I also have become so disillusioned with with academia I I already was when this started, but I became even more disillusioned over the course of us having this show, and I just kind of started giving fewer fucks, basically. And so that was one reason, I think, that I became more explicit about my politics, but also just because it's hard to sort of appease liberal values when you're not a liberal. So um, I know we do still have liberals that listen, and I still will often say, I know exactly what I'm about to say, that I know we have some liberals that listen and I love you. I love you all. You know who you are. At least I in particular, I'm not going to be apologetic or veer away from the fact that, you know, I'm further left than that. And so that's the other thing I think that has gotten a lot more clear in, in the show.
0: And just to add to that briefly, another thing that we have realized over the last 99 episodes is that When we are bringing in more radical politics or ideas, that is when people have expressed their gratitude for our show. In that, like, they didn't think about it in that way, right? Whatever topic. They didn't even, they weren't even educated on, let's say, sex work, which we'll talk about in just a second. We don't get a lot of pushback. It's more like, thank you so much for talking about that. I never had that discussion um, so we get we get comments from people all over the world. Um, oftentimes, people in small towns, rural areas, are the ones that are really sending us that feedback. So thank you very much for that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely live in an urban bubble. It's always good to get a reminder about how our place and space impact our politics. So
1: totally. And another just super quick thing on that note, when we had we had this conversation recently with with Amelia, we're going to talk about her project, um in the future certainly. So. Amelia, you know who you are. But we were saying that we realized that it wasn't going to be turning people off and driving people away necessarily. Uh, So we're still ultimately, I think, speaking to our goal of making feminism appealing, making left politics appealing, even if it's not for everybody, because you couldn't please everybody. So, Melody, you just mentioned sex work, and that is our first umbrella topic that we want to sort of speak about sex sex work and some other things which I'll talk about in a minute. But so so this is when we're gonna shift into talking about all these different sort of hot button issues or really old debates and where we stand individually and or as a podcast. Sometimes they'll be in agreement, sometimes not. So let's begin with sex work, agency, and as I said on the on our Google Doc, be in a hoe. Which is um, Rachel's
0: favorite thing to do.
1: It I do enjoy it. <laughs> So we have had, uh, Melody, thank you for searching back on this. So in episode 82, we did an episode with uh, sex worker Zaya Kendall, and in episode 24, we talk about the sex wars, which is sort of a canonical occurrence phenomenon in feminist history where there's sort of the marking of a split between pro-sex work, pro-porn, feminists and anti-porn, anti-sex work feminists. And so we have discussed this at length. We definitely are believe that sex work is work, so you'll never hear us say any differently than that. Um, and I'm just very, very supportive and very pro all of the sort of things that go along with it. I do think as a Marxist that the concept of agency is a little bit complicated, because the idea that you can be agentic in a sort of hegemonic society that teaches you particular things I do think is tricky. So even though I can sit there and say that wearing short skirts and high heels and makeup is something that I choose for me, I think that it is a little bit misguided or dishonest to say that there's no possible way that the patriarchy has influenced me in thinking that I enjoy those things, which I do genuinely enjoy. And also I am a product of my society. So Melody, you want to expand on that?
0: I think I really like that way that you explain, I've never heard you explain it through Marxism, like being an agent in in a capitalistic society. Because that's what I always get into with sex work is, let's say prostitution was legal, they would be able to help law enforcement or whoever, hopefully not law enforcement, but people that are trying to end sex trafficking, they would be able to help. But because all of that work is illegal, there's like... There's no communication mm-hmm. with people that can help, and it just shouldn't be beyond sex trafficking. Sex work shouldn't be illegal, right? It will be. It would actually be safer for everybody if it was legal. Totally. And the
1: generally in the sex work community, generally the push is to decriminalize rather than legalize, which legalizing empowers sort of the state more to get involved, whereas decriminalizing simply takes that criminal status away. So, just a clarification on that. But yeah totally
0: thank you yeah and the one last thing i'll say is that i i mean i know one of my good friends is a sex worker and I think it's just, you know, when you get to know people, your your opinions on things can change. And I was always very pro-sex work. But then talking with her, it's like, she actively chose that job. She loves it. She's a very sexual person. It's very good for her to get that energy out. And she makes a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. A ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like, people get paid for this work. Yeah. As they should. Yes.
1: Right. Right. And... And the other, you know, sort of big argument, especially with a Marxist lens, is all labor is coercive under capitalism, right? Like, none of us would be agentically necessarily choosing, I mean, if you, if you do what you love, you know, I guess, whatever. But most of us under capitalism are doing things in particular ways that we wouldn't necessarily want to be doing them because we have to make money to survive. So all, all of our labor is a little bit coerced. So there's that. Moving on. Um, another big fissure in feminism is notions and responses to transgender people. Um, our show is 100% are not TERFs. We are not trans-exclusionary radical feminists. We believe trans women are women. Turfs are pieces of garbage, period. My partner is trans. I mean, not to be like, oh, my partner is trans, but just as an example. <laughs> so that's, that's just period, bottom line there. However, what Melody wants to bring in, I think, is important and something that a lot, of, a lot of feminists wrestle with. So do you want to expand on where you, you certainly don't agree with TERFs, but where you understand or get um, hung up on particular responses to anti-TERF?
0: Yes. I have a new slogan. Mm-hmm. Hey, you turfs, get off our turf! <laughs> I like it good thank you tm 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 <laughs> so ever since we talked to pigeon actually the lost tape of pigeon we had this amazing conversation that i wish could come back to the universe but nonetheless something that i started talking about with pigeon and you rachel and other people is holding in the same space wanting to honor obviously trans women are women and also my womanhood like you know like the old radical, but basically being like a, a second wave feminist with 2018 politics. Because the reason I even grapple with it is because when I'm doing things like getting a, getting rid of some of the stigma around menstruating, for example, sometimes the response I get from younger feminists is, well, not all women menstruate. Can you please stop it with the like womanhood menstruation thing? I'm in celebration of all of this. Mm-hmm. And so what right now for me, what's difficult is that I want to be able to do both. But what I'm hearing from our younger people is that that's a tricky thing. And so... I don't want to come off as a turf at all. Right. So I'm just kind of minimizing some of that stuff. And I've also been changing my language. People who are pregnant, people who menstruate, mm-hmm. you know, small changes like that. Mm-hmm. But I still think we should be able to have some open conversations about people that have female anatomy. Is that what you say? Women anatomy?
1: or Ooh, People animal? whose anatomy was assigned or perceived to be female
0: genitalia. Thank you. Yeah. That. Yeah. So I'm still working on all that language too. Right. But not because I'm resistant to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that makes total sense. I'm reminded of, I don't know if you're following the moon book this round. There was just a chapter on bleeding. And I think the witch community, I think like the feminist, non-turf witch community, I think is actually a good place to turn for that because there is a lot of like connection to body. And in this, for those of you who don't know the moon book, um, Sarah Gottensiner, AKA modern woman, is, does these books about the moon cycles. And you know, that's very connected for a lot of people to menstruation. And she's, she spells it M asterisk N, so like takes out the E so it's not menstruation. Oh. Um, okay. And talks about people who, you know, people who bleed, anybody can have menstruation. So yeah, I think that's like a good place to to turn because there are a lot of people who do want to be in community, you know, in relationship to their body and into their bleeding. But yeah, I think the simple, the simple shift from saying women have periods to anybody who has periods is, is a good fix. And also acknowledging that everybody's on like a hormonal cycle, include you know, including trans women, you know, are mm-hmm. can, can have an, including cis men actually have yes. a cycle that, so we can all sort of be connected to that. Hi, Killjoys. It's Rachel here popping in with a reminder on some places you can find us on the interweb and how you can support us. So you can always subscribe to us on your favorite podcast application. And of course, you get extra FKJ points if you leave us a review on iTunes. It is a wonderful way to spread the word and gain new followers, and we really appreciate it. On the social media tip, we you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can like our Facebook page, and you can also join our closed community page, Feminist Killjoys Community-WTF Power. We have a Spotify mixtape that you can search out Feminist Killjoys PhD Mixtape, and if you want to support us financially and you have some extra dollars, you could donate to our Patreon, or as a one-time thing on our website, just click on the birdie to make a one-time PayPal donation. Patreon donors also get access to the Killjoy Review newsletter, and of course, you can also Always email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. And finally, you can leave us a voicemail at 414-858-7818. Again, 414-858-7818. Back to the show. So let's move on. So this is, I think, actually, I didn't order these in any particular way, but I think this is like a big crux of how we differentiate ourselves and how we're distinct from other feminist podcasts. Oh yeah. Um, so I wrote down mainstream government, really what I think this is getting at, I mean, it's getting at a lot of different things, but I think the, the sort of short heading of this also would be like anti-capitalism. Like, so we live in a society that is built on capitalism and the difference between liberal feminism and feminism, feminists who are radical as we discussed with friend of the show and former guest Elias when we were differentiating between radical feminists and feminists who are radical, that is, I think, a difference is that Melody and I are both deeply critical of capitalism and along with that have a lot of deep criticism of sort of mainstream government. That said, I'm going to let Melody go first because I really admire she's more active in local politics than I am and it's something I actually do very much believe in and strongly support. Um, but I want you to speak to that because I you, you do a lot more work in that arena. So would you speak to that?
0: Yeah, no problem. And before I get into my local politics situation, just to be clear, for those of you who don't follow feminist podcasts and comedy series, we differentiate ourselves because we are not in love with Hillary Rodham Mm -hmm. Clinton. Mm -hmm. That is the the huge, and it is a huge difference. It's a big difference. And we are (laughs) radical because of it, Mm -hmm. which I can't wait for the hindsight to kick in in, like, five to ten years, but (laughs) not fans of Hillary Rodham Clinton. Yeah. Less fans. No fandom. No fandom. (laughs) No fandom for the person in office now. But, like, holy cow. Right. Uh, So the way that I approach mainstream politics, and by that I mean when I think about mainstream politics and government, it's like – People that we can elect to office. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I've gotten really focused on local politics because, number one, local politics impact our, our direct lives most often more through local politics. That's not true for everybody. Travel ban. Mm-hmm undocumented immigrant policies, all that. But for the most part, things that are happening at our local level are the things that directly impact us every day. And I've also noticed that that is where the radical politicians start. So here in Minneapolis, we have Philippe Cunningham, the one of the first, one of the first trans people of color, Mm -hmm. because Andrea Jenkins is also a person of color trans, and they're both on our Minneapolis city council. Mm -hmm. We're just like so lucky. We also have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that just got elected as a Democrat socialist, and everybody's making a big deal about that. And so it's all happening within these local spaces. And so I think it's really important for people to get involved. It's amazing if you start going to your city council meetings, like Or your neighborhood organization meetings, like how much change you can enact in your world. So that's like my big push. But also since I am talking about local politics, people are like, is she going to bring up Keith Ellison? Oh, I am going to bring up Keith Ellison. We'll have to talk about him later. I'm very disappointed in him. But he would also make the list prior to a few weeks ago of being another amazing politician who came to every rally, every union thing that we needed him to be at. He showed up. And so... My approach to mainstream politics is fuck the national level, like stay local and you can make some big, some big changes.
1: Yeah. And I think that small scale stuff is really, really important too. And I've learned that a lot more navigating the, trying to help my mom navigate the system as an adult who's sort of experiencing the, the hoops that people who live in poverty have to go through. I, I can see how particular bills make things, things that could be accessible, inaccessible. And that shit's really, really important. And I've definitely, I've never not, mm, let me think. I don't think I ever officially boycotted voting, maybe a couple years when I was like a pretty hardcore anarchist. But I certainly, like, I understand that logic because everybody who's a politician at any level is operating within a system that is inherently oppressive. And I get that there's not going to be like liberation based on that. But these, these, I think that it's important for my politics that we make people's lives more livable sort of in the meantime in, before revolution. And that goes into this idea of non-reformist reforms. So can you vote people and issues in, into office and into play that help reduce harm rather in a way that doesn't simultaneously bolster systems that are harmful? So that's tricky to navigate sometimes, but if you get the right people, I think they, who want to do that, It's going to be at the local level that we see that. Moving on. I think this next one can be pretty quick. Um, Our podcast, as we say in our intro, uh, often focuses on pop culture. So we come from media studies backgrounds, and we both think that pop culture has a lot of value and is worth analyzing. Um, I also love it as um, an actual form of entertainment that I get to indulge. And like I understand the critiques of... It is a tool that capitalism enables to sort of appease us from the monotony and alienation of working jobs that, that don't fulfill us. And also, <laughs> there's some really good television out there, um, and I really love movies. But we, regardless, we both think that it's a really, really valuable tool to deconstruct, and we certainly teach about it all the time. So, Melody, say more.
0: I also love pop culture. I'm, this is the example in which how Rachel and I are different. Rachel will watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Mm -hmm. I had to basically be forced. I had to force myself to watch The Bachelorette for this podcast. (laughs) Like I, like I barely could hang on. So some of the stuff in terms of just being mindless entertainment, I appreciate that. I just can't do it. My brain cannot shut off. I also have a huge problem with media that is targeted to children. I think it's a very precarious spot. I've taken care of numerous children and I've seen directly how they consume media. They start thinking certain things about girls and boys, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't like that part of pop culture, but I will say that we're, I think we're in a turning point where with, with Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Media is not beholden to like networks and commercial entities as much anymore. So we're getting a much more broad representation. We're seeing there's really good TV out there, film that can get films that can get produced that are, you know, expanding representations, Mm -hmm. social media pros and cons. But, you know, I talked to some young women and they know stuff about feminism that I didn't know until I was 25 because they're following somebody on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think we're really at a turning point where even five years ago, I'd corporate media is awful and it's like not diverse and it just reaffirms stereotypes. But my students keep bringing me artists, music videos, TV shows that like go against my argument. My argument in class is really changing about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. To be continued, we'll always, you know, it'll come up and then in the next 100 episodes, surely. So more on that. Moving on to lifestyle politics. We also did an episode on this, a really early one. Episode 10, we talked about lifestyle politics. I remember you being surprised that I was less into it, but lifestyle politics, which we explain as sort of like voting with your dollar, doing things on an individual level that match your ethics as a way to sort of create change. I think Primarily, those things don't make that much of a difference. And I think it's a very sort of neoliberal push to put the onus on the individual rather than broader systems and corporations. And that said, I'm also a vegan who, you know, I, I will not, you know, I'll never consume meat or dairy. certainly won't pay for meat or dairy. I, I would never consume meat. I've consumed dairy like in a in a free cake or whatever. So clearly I, I do practice some lifestyle politics and I will say that this has shifted for me as I've gotten more into being witch identified and starting to think more about sort of the energy of things. So what does it mean to wear a crystal that I don't know the sort of ethical source behind it that feels more difficult. But I also don't think that me purchasing a non-ethical crystal actually matters for the person who's doing the mining, unfortunately, because I'm just one person. Um, And that's just not the way that change like that is going to happen. But I do try to be an ethical consumer. Melody goes pretty hardcore on this. So
0: I think a lot of it, you know why it is though, I'm cancer rising. Mm. <laughs> That's what I show off yeah. to the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Wearing your heart, your emotions on your, yeah.
0: And like justice is a huge thing mm-hmm. for me. And so I show that off right. right. So yeah, I'm the type of person that I think about every place I go, where mm-hmm. I get coffee. Is it a gentrifying coffee shop? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I like walk in cheap. Like I just think right. about every single purchase I make. It's so exhausting. Yeah. It's so exhausting. Yeah. Sometimes my partner's like, can you just like chill for a minute mm-hmm. I was like I literally like I cannot like, yeah in my brain I cannot turn it off and I totally agree with you though the reason why we have climate change issues is not because you and me drive to work right it's because giant corporations and our government did jack shit mm-hmm. to change things when they could have mm-hmm. in the late 70s and early 80s mm-hmm I have no feelings about this as you can tell. <laughs> so but at the same time, I feel like I'm in a privileged space where I can make choices. Yeah. I can choose whether I eat tofu or a burger. Yep. Because I have that privilege, yeah. the economic privilege. I do not expect that kind of dietary availability. So I understand that it's very much based in my privilege here in the United States in an urban space. Right. So my approach is if I can make the choice and I can afford the choice, I'm going to make it because I have that privilege.
1: Yeah. And I think I generally fall into that for the most part. Like I always think about this, like how strapped about money I'm feeling when I buy vegan chocolate chips because I... I -hmm. I still bake a lot, so I always like always have a bag of chocolate chips in my freezer, and I'll either get like the fair trade six dollar bag. They're so so fucking expensive, or you can go to fucking Trader Joe's, and their generic brand is like three dollars. And so I'm always like, ugh, yeah. (laughs) And so just just this past week, I was like, I'm gonna be getting a paycheck soon. I will buy the six dollar bag. Dang. Um, but so I do tr- also try to practice that, that privilege if I can. And again, energetically, I feel better about it. Ethically, I feel better about it. But yeah, I just don't think it makes that big of a difference. It
0: doesn't. So it doesn't. Yeah. It's just more for my own personal yeah. guilt. Problems. Right, don't right, right, worry. Right. I'm right. going to therapy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. This next one, I think we might need to do an episode part two. We did an episode 52. We did a discussion about call out culture. I think that I've actually shifted quite a bit from when we did that episode. I was kind of I was sort of in the middle about it. Now I'm really exhausted with call out culture and let's have, so my, my suggestion is that we say some brief words about this and maybe have a call out culture part two in sometime soon. Do you want to, what do you want to say sort of quickly? What's your cliff's notes version response to this?
0: Well, I wrote you a note in the show notes that says, Melody is unclear how she feels until there's a working definition. Okay. So, like What are we talking about with call-out culture?
1: Well, I think the way that call-out culture is discussed now or when people refer to call-out it culture, it's very much like public internet shaming. Um, Over
0: what behaviors? any
1: Anything, I think, would result in call-out culture.
0: <sighs> I'm exhausted by it. I think in similar ways that you are, if I'm just guessing, because mm-hmm. I know a few things about you. Mm-hmm. I think we're tired of the same kinds of call-out culture. I still, and this is part of the Me Too movement that I don't think you and I have talked about, but I'm still okay with rapists and sexual assaulters getting called out. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what the call-out is. Okay. If you're gonna give me shit for Instagramming with, like, a caribou coffee cup Mm -hmm. and be like, where's your reusable coffee mug, you hippie, (laughs) that's exhausting. And that's like a very banal example. But I feel like in some, in some instances, people have had to resort to the call out culture Mm -hmm. to get the justice and the attention that they need for their cases. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it depends. Okay.
1: I think that's fair. I think that nuance is is appropriate. And I certainly don't want to be like the white lady who's like, I don't want to be called out. It's, it's actually less that, I mean, we've been called out as a podcast. I've been called out, but uh, not a ton. I mean, not, not because we're so perfect, but just like, I mean, that's not, it's not, I'm actually not personally exhausted by it. It's not like I've been getting called out a ton, but like witnessing it, I find exhausting and it's not, it's not just race. So I'm not speaking as a white lady. It's, it's a bunch of things, including marginalized positions that I'm in as well. So there's so much to say about it. I think that nuance that you're bringing into it is important. I think we need to shelve it. But basically, for my personal stance, if you're looking for like a feminist podcast, who's going to be like, that's problematic, that's problematic, that's probably sort of like checking every single checking guests on like, I don't know, it's just, and it's not because I think about civility. That's not what it is. It's just,
0: can I put a word in your mouth? Yeah, I don't think it's productive.
1: It's not productive. It's not, it's not, it's not productive. I think it
0: alienates people. It makes people mad. It doesn't actually change. If you're trying to call somebody out to get them to not behave in that way or say that term later, mm-hmm. it's not a productive mechanism to do that. Right. And I think that that's different
1: from like the fact that we support massive disruptions of heckling people on a stage at a big thing that a social movement like, you know, like that an organized group planned there is there it, we're not talking about like being polite or no. appealing to people by being really nice to them there's certainly places for like disruption and anger and uh, and callouts but i think what call out culture specifically refers to is this sort of like jerk internet performative yeah look very much like look at me being so uh, not we're not supposed to say woke we got called out for that. So I'm so, my politics are so good that I'm going to like call this person yes. out and it becomes self-serving in a particular yeah, way. Yeah, It's like a
0: performance of, yeah. of politics. Yeah. And I think we're, I think more interested, well, I am more interested in the call in. Remember mm-hmm. there was that discussion mm-hmm. about call out versus calling in where mm-hmm. when you call somebody in, mm-hmm. you actually have a productive conversation with them mm-hmm. that is still based in anger, mm-hmm. possibly, mm-hmm. but you have a more productive conversation. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're not trying to say that nobody should be allowed to call out. We're not trying to say that we shouldn't. We actually invite that. We invite people to sort of tell us yeah. if we mess up. We have our accountability corner. But I'm referring to this notion of it becoming like a cultural thing that is rooted in performativity. So moving on, and it's, I think, a tiny bit related because sort of the crux of that for me is that, like, that doesn't feel like a transformative justice response. So we're moving into the prison system. Definitely a difference in feminism. There's something that's referred to as carceral feminism, which is a type of feminism that relies on the state and law enforcement as a solution to um, problems about gender, gender-based violence, basically. And... I personally identify as a prison abolitionist. And so I really don't like carceral feminism. I don't like when there are sort of rallying cries to strengthen laws that expand the prison system. And uh, that's not just in the case of like, sexual offenders that 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 can that appears in, in a lot of different iterations. So Um, I'm going to pause, but I'm just going to say that I'm a prison abolitionist. I truly believe that prison doesn't help reduce harm. I think that it creates it. And so when I say that I'm a prison abolitionist, even in relation to things like sexual violence, that's because I actually care about reducing sexual violence. And actually sexual violence is exacerbated in prison and creates more conditions that would perpetuate harm within prison and outside of it again. So we're going to have a whole, we're going to, we're going to do an episode on prison abolition. So more on that, but, um, that is certainly, I think, a stance that, that sets me uh, and apart, apart, from other podcasts. And I think Melody has some agreement, but, um, tell us.
0: Yeah, I'm a little, it is the, I'm definitely, I don't think I don't identify as a prison abolitionist, but I am very supportive of, Having drug dealers, drug users, other like petty crimes, like not be something in which you can sit and rot in jail for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But then I think of people like Brock Turner, George W. Bush, the CEOs of banks. I don't give a shit what happens to them, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so that's where I get really tied up. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if they want to go through, like, I'm very pro rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So when people go to jail or prison, I don't. I don't want anybody to just be rotting in a pr- prison mm-hmm. cell. Rehabilitation is possible for anybody. But not within our current prison system. No. So. So maybe I am a prison abolitionist by I definition. Think, yeah. But I just have a hard time visualizing certain people mm-hmm. not in jail. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think part of the problem is that we've been so obsessed with incarceration as the solution. hmm or as the only form of punishment, mm-hmm. that if I read and saw other visions of how mm-hmm. we can, and I don't even want to punish. Punish even seems harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could see other visions, I think I'd feel a little bit better about no prisons. Mm-hmm. But it's just the, the really extreme crimes that I have a hard time mm-hmm. saying no prison. Because mm-hmm. I, I just like, don't care what happens to them. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that you know CEOs are never going to, The people who cause us the most harm are never going to be thrown in jail in our current society. So I just don't think that our current capital state will put the right people in prison ever. But we're going to have a whole episode on it, so I'm happy to talk more about those visions for alternate worlds.
0: That'd be great.
1: We, as a podcast, believe that Black Lives Matter, period. Next. We, as a podcast, believe that no one is illegal on stolen land, period. Next. Next this is our last one. And I wanted to bring it up partly because I got an email from a fat identified person who said it meant a lot to her to hear us use fat really like just as a descriptor because that's what it is. And so I think that's also something that's not super mainstream as, and especially in feminist spaces. Like I'll hear thin white feminists try to like tiptoe around plus size. She was a little bit bigger boned. She was a little bit heavier, like all these things. Right. (laughs) When we very much, I think, have both learned from, um, like, fat positivity and the fat acceptance movement. And um, so we say the word fat as a descriptor um, in line with people who choose to use that word. And we know not everybody does, but a lot of, I mean, the fat positive movement does. We reject diet culture. Both of us have a history of eating disorders. I definitely, I mean, I've been open about that. Uh, And it's certainly something that I still, you know, have thoughts that I struggle with. But something that we could also get into in maybe another episode is there's sort of some debate about sort of body positivity versus like body autonomy. And so what does it mean when... Fat positive communities sort of rejects any fat person who's trying to lose weight, and so there's still some sort of debates about that. And I don't have an answer to that. There's a lot of names. I think that we could throw out. So Bridgete Hovar is one of my favorite fat positive writers, who I think writes really well about this. And Lindy West is really great. We could we could keep naming them, and we can certainly have an episode on this. But just largely, we are a body positive podcast. We are inspired by fat positive and fat acceptance movements and we don't like diet culture. Do you want to say anything else?
0: I hate diet culture. I hate it. There are women at my school, my coworkers. they'll like sit down with pieces of pizza and they'll be like, how many calories? Well, I guess I had 300 calories. And I'm just like because of my eating disorder mm-hmm. past I know how incessant it is. Yeah. And that was something that I didn't talk to anybody about. Mm-hmm. So to see that it performed as a form of femininity or right. as a form... Is just, oh my God, I cannot stand it. I just, I don't, I wish maybe I should do some like interjections. I never know what to say in in that situation, but, uh, but especially because I know that I am skinny. Mm. And so if the person looks any larger than me, they're going to think that it's like, oh, shut up, skinny, skinny lady. Like you have nothing to worry about. Well, actually we all have the ability to obsess over calories. Right, right. Especially women. And I know men, Mm -hmm. People of all genders suffer from this. Women are especially socialized. Mm -hmm. And it's like acceptable to be like, oh, I I can't have that cupcake. Like eat the fucking cupcake. Will you just eat the cupcake? You're fine. So sad that people. Yes, it
1: is. It is an all consuming thing to deal with diet culture
0: and I blame women's magazines and health magazines for some it's a a huge part of it I mean that's all
1: I fucking read when I was a preteen and a teenager and that's when it was the worst for me so
0: yeah and you know the effects when like I read it and I'm like oh maybe I do need yeah and I'm like whoa right they're really powerful yeah
1: it is it really is whoo so those are Just a handful, a smattering of issues that we have a strong opinion about. Like we said many times, sometimes we are in agreement, sometimes we differ. But I think it also does give this sort of explanation of how we might differ from other feminist podcasts. And that is also a sort of discussion on our evolution as the Feminist Killjoy PhD co-hosts. So to wrap up episode 100, Melody, what are you reading, watching, and
0: listening to? Reading, watching, and listening with Rachel and Melody. But guess
1: what? What? We also have another pretty song.
0: Reading, watching, and. <laughs> no, I know. I just thought to sing it.
1: Yeah, your students will definitely sing it. What are you reading, watching, and listening to?
0: I'm reading a graphic novel called Spiral Bound. It's like an old school emo graphic novel I found in the used book section at Moon Palace. Shout out Moon Palace. Also, for listeners who are wondering, I did get to the sexy part of Carrot's book, Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart.
1: It's sexy. Woo! Yeah.
0: It's. Yeah. (laughs) Brown chicken <laughs> and I'm listening. Fine. I'm way behind Janelle Monet. Mm-hmm. I thought for a while that it was a local artist called The Lioness. They're very similar in their oh, style. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, they're playing The Lioness. And I'm like, oh, that's Janelle Monet. She's amazing. So yeah. I'm so I'm always behind. I'm always a half year behind. <laughs> and then I have watched, we have not talked about, we haven't been on air since Nanette came mm-hmm. out, know, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. By Hannah Gatsby. Can I say I feel like it's required viewing? Yeah. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy!
1: <laughs> Van Gogh.
0: Van Gogh. Who needs cubism
1: anyway? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so much to say about Nanette, but great. That's a great RWL. I'm reading a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which had been on my list for a while. It's about trauma and the way that it's embodied. And so as I continue to, I'll actually be starting uh, teaching yoga in the jail here again. And this time the women's, actually the women's prison actually this time. And so I'm, you know, always thinking about embodiment and trauma and how to respond to that myself and in others. I am watching, sorry to bother you, because I fucking loved it. And we still haven't talked about it yet. But. That would be another thing we could discuss at some point. So sorry to bother you. And listening to just today, I was listening to live versions of like live concerts of Hop Along, which is a band I really, really like. And they are like even better live. This woman's voice is like, I literally had chills. I just love them so, so, so much. So their Tiny Desk concert in particular was like super fucking good. So that's what I'll say. We are also very excited to announce as we close out that we have all new, you may have noticed, original music from our dear friend of the show, Emily Jane Powers. You can find her at emilyjanepowers.com. Her music that she has available, all of her albums are fucking incredible. I've known her and witnessed their birth since I've known her in 2000. So she's an old friend And um, as you can hear on the podcast She created us some amazing sounds And she's open to other podcasts Commissioning her for music So let her know And that is all we got Thank you everybody for your patience FKJ I wasn't ready FKJ Power